scripture verse as we prepare to come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. First Timothy, if you go all the way to the end and back up past Peter and Hebrews, you'll come to First Timothy chapter 1. It's interesting that uh, two of the hymns we, and well the anthem and one of the hymns we're using in worship today are by Isaac Watts. Yesterday was the birthday of Isaac Watts from uh, July 17th in 1648. When uh, Isaac Watts was, was born in an early part of his life, um, the church, basically where he was, the churches sang psalms. It was uh, psalm singing. By that time, it had become where the leader would lead out, state a line, and then the congregation could sing it. And whatever enthusiasm there had been originally had pretty much been lost. And so Isaac uh, was more of a poet than a musician at first. He began as a preacher to write and uh, write songs. They were immediately criticized, uh, especially by those in the Church of England. They were called Watts Whims. Watts whims, and we're singing two of those today, and uh, he's my favorite hymn writer, and uh, I think we can appreciate the music uh, of Isaac Watts that's influenced our worship so much. First Timothy, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor in the city of Ephesus, beginning of verse 1, God's word says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our Lord, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to the myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And that ends the reading of God's word. I'd like to focus on that fifth verse that just says, The goal of this command or the goal of our instruction is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Although a number of years have passed since I first read these words in a magazine, this essay by Jimmy Buffett caught my attention. Yes, I said Jimmy Buffett, okay, and it was entitled, A Pirate Looks at 50. He wrote, Tomorrow I turn 50. A simple sentence, but a mind-boggling thought for a war baby like me. After I came into the world in Mobile, Alabama on Christmas Day in 1946, this is more or less how it went. I broke out of the grip of Catholicism and made it through adolescence without killing myself in a car. I flunked out of Auburn University. I learned to play the guitar, lived on the beach in Panama City, moved to New Orleans French Quarter, and didn't go to Vietnam. I enrolled at the University of Southern Mississippi, started a band, got a job on Bourbon Street, graduated from college, broke up my band, and went out on the road solo. I signed a record deal with Barnaby Records, got married, moved to Nashville, bought a Mercedes, worked at Billboard, put, up my, put out my first album, went broke, met Jerry Jeff Walker, wrecked the Mercedes, got divorced, and moved to Key West. I sang and worked on a fishing boat, went totally crazy, did a lot of dope, met the right girl, made another record, had a hit, come Monday, bought a boat, and sailed away to the Caribbean. 
I started another band, worked the road, had my second and last hit, Margaritaville, bought a house in Aspen, started spending my summers in New England, got married, broke my leg three times in one year, had a baby girl, made more records, bought a bigger boat, and sailed away to St. Bart's. I got separated from the right girl, sold the boat, sold the house in Aspen, moved back to Key West, worked the road, made more records. I rented an apartment in Paris, learned to fly, went to therapy, quit doing dope, bought my first seaplane, flew all over the Caribbean, almost got a second divorce, moved to Malibu for more therapy, and got back with the right girl. I worked the road, moved back to Nashville, bought a summer home on Long Island, had a baby girl, bought the perfect seaplane. I moved back to Florida, seaplane. I moved back to Florida, built a house on Long Island, had a baby boy, crashed the perfect seaplane in Nantucket, tried to slow down a little, woke up one morning, and I was looking at 50. Now, how would you summarize a life like this? Or how would you summarize your life? Is it just a disconnected line of uh, events? We had a former Hollywood actress here to speak at the Covenant Care Banquet a number of years ago, and I read in her autobiography, she said, if you had looked at my life before I was a Christian, she said it was a roadmap to nowhere. I thought that was an interesting comment. Does your life have a goal? Are you moving in a certain direction? Well, the Apostle Paul had such, and he says here that there was a goal to their instruction, love from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. Paul was on the road. He was traveling when he wrote this letter to Timothy. He perhaps was on a fourth missionary journey, probably around 62 or 64 A.D. Now, Timothy, the recipient of this letter, was born into a place called Lystra. It was a Roman colony. Timothy was from a mixed marriage. That is, his father was a Gentile, but his mother was a Jew. And apparently his father was not a Christian, was not a believer, but his mother and his grandmother had become believers in Christ as a result of Paul's ministry in the colony of Lystra on his first missionary journey. So from the time that Timothy was a young boy, his mother and his grandmother had taught him the scriptures. When Paul returned to Lystra years later on his second missionary journey, some of the Christians there pointed out this young man, Timothy. And they said, this guy's got leadership potential. He's not only got Christian character, Christian theology, but God's given him ministry gifts. And so Paul took him along with him on this missionary endeavor. Timothy traveled with Paul. Uh, throughout most of what we call the second and third missionary journeys. There were several years between those. But when they came to Ephesus, Paul left Timothy there to pastor. Ephesus was a large metropolitan area. It was a large metropolitan church. But it had a problem with, uh, with false teachers in it. And so Paul left his key man, Timothy, there to pastor. This letter is being written to Timothy in Ephesus to give him some pastoral instruction, but there's really application for all of us, not just those who are pastors. Because in verse 5 he says, the goal of our instruction, the outcome we want to see, the purpose we have in mind. If you are a teacher, 
either by profession or if you just help out as a volunteer teacher, sometimes in Sunday school or something like that, I assume you have or you should have goals to this lesson. At the end of this lesson, I want my students to be able to know the multiplication tables through 10 or be able to know these 25 new vocabulary words or whatever it might be, be able to explain photosynthesis. But you would have a goal as you go into that. Well, the scriptures have a goal as well. The Apostle Paul in their ministry had this goal. First, love from a pure heart. This was a, an outcome they desired from their teaching. Love for God, love for others. Christ said that love would be the defining mark of the believer. In John 13, verses 34 and following, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So that's one proper goal, proper outcome of our instruction should be love. If we are teaching the scriptures at First Presbyterian Church or at RUF Georgia or wherever it is, and the fruit of that does not display itself in the lives of the disciples of Christ with love, something's wrong. We are not achieving what God has in mind if over a period of time that is not there. Well, what type of love? These three phrases describe that love. The first type, it comes from a pure heart. Love from a pure heart, not mixed motives, not self-centered. The Bible speaks of the heart not so much as the physical organ, but as the center of your being, as the seed of your emotions, as the core of who you are. And so there are many proverbs in the book of Proverbs about, um, about the heart. One of those says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Guard, God wants you to guard it. People tend to guard what's important, what's valuable. You don't guard what you don't care about. I doubt if you put your daily trash in a safety security box. You know, you put, you put things that are valuable, legal documents, heirloom jewelry, something that maybe has been passed down to you. or what. You keep those in safe places. You guard. Here we're told to, you're told, I'm told, guard your heart. Guard because it's so valuable. When you give your heart to something, God knows that when you and I give our heart to something, we are giving our whole being, our affections, our desires, our motives, our pursuits. You can give your heart to another person. You can give your heart to a cause. You can give your heart to a profession. You can give your heart to a hobby. You can give your heart to all sorts of things. And for that very reason, he says to guard it. And we're to guard it because it's a wellspring. The rest of our life flows up from this. Now, I know because I've heard you say that a number of you have floated the Itchituckmee River right outside of Gainesville, Florida. You know, it's a clear, incredibly clear river that people go. They, they snorkel it. They scuba dive. They canoe. They kayak. They float down in, in inner tubes. It's, it's a rare place in North America. We stopped by there one time driving back from South Florida up to Georgia, I think it was, and we got there so late in the day that it was too late for the two- or four-hour trip to float it, but we went in the state park and just looked at the head springs there, and I had a sign saying how many 
gallons per hour, millions or whatever each day, you know, were coming up. But I vividly remember, you, you just look down, it looks like a cave, and just this clear water. It's not bubbling up, but you can see the current coming up. That's the, the wellspring, that's the headspring of the Ichituckney. Well, if you could pour in some kind of contaminant, it would contaminate the whole river after a period of time. If you get to the wellspring, if you, at the root, then you can change the whole river. That's what Proverbs is saying. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. But our love should flow from a pure heart. I was reading these words by Charles Bridges, um, a reforming pastor from years ago. He, he talked about knowing our own hearts. He said, the heart must be known in order to be effectually kept. In other words, how can you guard it if you don't even know it? How can you guard your heart if you don't know your heart? Nothing is more difficult while nothing is more necessary. If we know not our own hearts, we know nothing to any purpose. Whatever else we know, to neglect this knowledge is to be a fool at the best. If we know not our weak points, Satan knows well the sins that easily beset us. His point is, we must know our own hearts because our enemy, Satan, he knows, he knows your heart real well, so you need to know it better. And so that was the reason for Solomon's warning. And the way we love from a pure heart is by it being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Through coming to faith in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, doing in us what David prayed for in Psalm 51, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So love from a pure heart, that was the goal of the instruction, but secondly, also from a good conscience. A good conscience just means a clear conscience. A clear conscience begins by being forgiven from the Lord. The gospel tells us that Adam and Eve were created. God created these two beings, and they had perfect life with God. They had a perfect relationship with God, literally walked and talked